Capcom Cup looks to be scheduled somewhat soon after a major balance update that includes the implementation of a brand new mechanic in Street Fighter V, and we have to wonder how well this will go over with both players and fans. Plus, I'm back to learning many 101 lessons as I explore Seth and share some of my important findings thus far, and we get into some dangerous frames of mind that you'll want to be sure to avoid, all on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Hello, Internet. Thanks for uh, inviting us along while you uh, do the dishes or go to work or work out or whatever it is you're doing. Glad to be here with you. Yep. For me, it's taking out the trash, man. It's just, uh, this is a trash podcast. There we go. That's definitely wow. no uh, bad meetings <laughs> on that one. But uh, it takes you an hour to take it out the trash, huh? Oh, about two, actually. But uh, oh, I, I know our listeners definitely tuned in to hear me talk about my trash duties. So moving right <laughs> along, we're going to talk about major changes coming to Street Fighter V that would mark a first time ever for Capcom Cup. And let's set the stage here of why this is a big deal as this information comes directly from capcom they released a roadmap file for the rest of street fighter 5's lifespan which runs until about the fall of 2021 you know we've got about a year's time from now before the game is done but in there they mentioned a whole bunch of updates are coming in the winter of 2020 like dan uh, as a brand new character but most importantly for the players competing at capcom cup they'll have a brand new battle mechanic and a brand new battle balance added to the game. For those keeping score at home, these battle balance updates tend to be huge. While we've seen a big time, like, you know, a few big time updates in the 0.5 updates, the mid-year updates that we're used to, the real big elephants in the room are typically happening at the end of the year, marking yeah. a whole brand new season for the game, right? <laughs> Um, it's Yeah, it's when the game really tends to change. I mean, that's when the new mechanics come in. That's when the heavy balance updates come in. That's when it looks like Vega's going to be really good, and we find out later that he's not. But that's when it looks like Vega's going to be good, and you know you need big change if that's what's happening. Right. And we've asked for heavy nerfs to people like Akuma, and but let's say that we get that. Let's say we get that change that badly needs to happen, and that happens here in December. We get Season 6. Well, Takamura, he's already qualified for Capcom Cup using Akuma. And, and he might be using a vastly different character by the time that Capcom Cup rolls around in the first quarter of 2021. That goes mm -hmm. as well for Guile, Colleen, Seth, and a number of other characters who have already qualified for Capcom Cup. And I, so I got to throw this back at you, John. Do you see a scenario where we get another season of balance updates um, planned for uh, December and it doesn't heavily alter some parts of the game, like how it works? I mean, especially with the new battle mechanic coming in, do you see a scenario where it's like the players are pretty much okay with this? Well, that's, I mean, there might be two different questions there because there's no doubt in my mind that the game is going to change significantly from what it is right now, from what it is during this qualification phase, right? And that's something that it just kind of is the way it is. And there's certainly going to be some uh, hesitance and some reservation about it because we're all about consistency and playing on a level playing field and whatnot. But since Street Fighter V came out and since the DLC practices have evolved into being what they are now, this has been immediately something that the, the FGC and the gaming community has been wrestling with. And is it's kind of just a, a here to stay kind of thing. Like things are going to constantly change if you're doing this as a service and having consistent new characters join the game and, and updates and, and things along those lines. So 
uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna be different. And is that totally fair? It's like, no, you can definitely make a case for why that's not an ideal scenario. But at the same time, it's sort of just part of the experience now. And so for someone to say it's not fair or like to take such issue with it where they say that this needs to be uh, you know rehashed and redone i just don't see that argument holding much water given the the atmosphere that we're currently in yeah this is going to be the first time in street fighter 5 history where capcom cup will be played on an entirely different season than the one that players qualify for that's if the roadmap is correct you know we we have seen capcom change the roadmap before it has happened um, but again, this year's Capcom Cup is happening, you know, next year in 2021. And it's just kind of the unfortunate set of circumstances here. Like COVID-19 has been a huge factor in changing so many things in the fighting game community. And of course, you know, on our planet and stuff. Um, I honestly can't think of a good solution here. Maybe, you know, like Capcom could release a balance update outside of winter 2020, like going back on what they said. But that, that's something that, you know, they've locked in and it's like, these competitors like so that would work that would kind there's, of help them out but yeah there's also something of an asterisk next to this whole season right because it's like from what we initially planned one it's all online uh the 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 schedule is different the way you qualify is different um there's a ton of different factors where we're basically like as you're getting at just trying to make the most out of a crappy situation where change was very heavily needed so i think a lot of people are going in with that understanding as well and saying yeah we can we can definitely kind of take some fudges around and, and nudges and, and changes because at the end of the day we want to have capcom cup we want to have the pro tour that means changing the schedule making it all online and having it run up against these major changes with the game which if you think about it i mean even even previous years you've had new characters rolling in you've had 0.5 balance batches and maybe there's a little bit more time to to get used to these in certain circumstances you know you have to there's like that uh, is it two weeks before you can play um, a character a new character in a capcom pro tour tournament i think so it's a week it's, or two but yeah yeah but there's there's a there's a time window where you can't you know you do it and i, I would imagine that they would roll out this new mechanic at least that much time before capcom cup rolls around so it's no it's not ideal but this whole thing is just let's make sure that we have it as opposed to don't and whatever needs to be done there that's how we're going to go about it so like i said it kind of is what it is Mm -hmm. you know dan will also be available with this winter update uh, but his history as a tournament viable character is highly questionable at mm. best. Uh, if Dan is a factor in the 2020 Capcom Cup, I'll be pretty surprised. I mean, he very clearly will fall into the window of playable. But I mean, it's just like Dan's history is like, ugh. But, you know, Rose also comes out. But I think Rose is actually going to come out with the Capcom Cup, like, you know, ending. You know, they're, they're going to announce uh, something else here, which I'll get into. But, um, we, you know, Rose is probably going to be revealed as playable at that event. Um, you know, right after, and so she shouldn't be a factor at all. So really what we're talking about here is the um, the balance update and the battle mechanics. You know, um, I, I have to think, as I consider this on a, maybe a, a wider scale um, uh, approach or level, what it means to be a professional Street Fighter player, a professional fighting game player, but of course right now we're talking within the confines of Street Fighter V and the way that this game is evolving and growing. It's gonna, if it hasn't already, become a matter of, or, or it's gonna be on the players to be able to 
essentially dance the evolving and the changing dance of the game because like i said this is here to stay like this is the way we're doing it this is the way developers are doing it now where there's all of a sudden new characters new balance updates and sometimes smack dab in the middle of a season that's true for virtually you know as far as mobas go and it's not apples to apples but that's something that moba players and a lot of other um esports players have to deal with and it just goes on to the players because it's like you need to be fluid enough and open enough to take this evolving game and stay at the top of this particular mountain even as it changes so you have yep. to identify okay this is what's new about it this is what's bad now it used to be good and vice versa and this is how i optimize my game very quickly as it changes on the fly i think that's just going to become part of what being a pro street fighter player is and that's going to be interesting to see if that impacts how often capcom and other companies are willing to balance these games because right now we see it pretty much like a seasonal balance change is like the big one for everyone that happens about once a year um, but we do see you know the the mid-season updates for all the all the games now and those can be big but they tend to isolate like a handful of characters and like you know either drop them down or improve them usually it's nerfing them right um so i'm i'm curious how well the fgc is going to receive this because when it's happened in the past like with mortal kombat 9 now they were doing doing it a lot that really pissed off the players now that also had other problems too like where the mk9 developers would they would tweak something and if your console wasn't plugged in online you wouldn't get that update so like things would be high discrepancy between you know off offline uh, tournaments and online you know events and stuff like that um there were a bunch of faults with it but at that time the community very overwhelmingly said hey less frequent balance updates give us it about like i know we ran numerous polls and i think like one a year was the most popular back then like 10 years ago or something and now i think it's like about two updates per year is kind of what people expect kind of on a minimum uh, but it, it's interesting i wonder if that might go up to about three or four and as you say it's it's these players jobs to adapt but what i go back to here john is like what do you think these players' reactions are going to be when they hear this? Because, again, I have not heard a lot of people discussing this, and, and usually when we pick up and run like a narrative like this, people start talking about it and it becomes a big thing. What do you think the players out there that are qualified for Capcom Cup, what do you think they're going to think of this? I think if you go on Twitter, this is a prime opportunity to cry and whine as people like to do on Twitter all the time, and you will 100% see it. And in, as much as we're thinking about it through that particular avenue, oh yeah, 100%. Uh, and and I, I've, I wonder, because you're the one that sort of came up with this idea to, to talk about this specifically, I wonder how much of your brain and your, and your analysis of this immediately went to that, because that's where we get so much of our communal reactions, right? But Twitter and social media seem to be a lot louder and a lot more influential, or not influential, a lot more, um, have a lot more gravity than I think they actually do. We've seen that many times. So you're going to hear people whine on, on social media. Now, when it comes to the, the particular players, I don't know because it depends on individual personalities. I know if, uh, well, I'm not going to shout out names, um, but if they're, you know, like, we'll take some random player like Manfred Pelly, right? Now, if there's a character or a player named Manfred Pelly, he would probably complain about characters, uh, you know, evolving too much. But a lot of people, uh, I think, are just going to do their job and play the game, you know, and, and whatever comes. Like, if you're trying to be a serious Street Fighter V esports player here in 2020, this is what is asked of you. And so this is what you're going to have to do. Um, but you're de you're definitely going to hear the mobs on Twitter whine about stuff because that's what you do on Twitter. Now, I, I agree with you to a point, but I also think it's very much going to be a case of, well, you didn't touch my character, so it's okay. But I think, honestly, if they go after Guile, I think that Daigo, the very underspoken person, he, that would even get him 
to, to shout stuff out. Say, hey, what the well, hell is that going to do? Well, I mean, again, just kind of let Capcom know how displeased he is with that process and see if there's something they can come up with for a solution that, you know, like we're not able to think of right now. But I mean, it's not like Daigo is completely against, you know, speaking his mind and talking about this stuff. And he's usually, again, very soft spoken about a number of these issues. But that happens to change when you're playing for, you know, a quarter of a million dollars and, and you know, that the, the breaking rights and all that. You've trained for an entire year on this. And now, like, you know, in the last part of it, like, you know, they're going to pull out the rug from under you. Uh, and let's say they just nerf Guile into, like, a low-tier character. We know Guile, or, uh, Daigo doesn't play low-tier characters. He never has. It, it, at least pretty much never has. He, he's pretty much going top tier uh, or high tier in every game. And he'll he'll talk about his characters kind of being whatever. But his history is he's playing some of the best characters in the game. That's oh, what sure. he does. He plays um, to win. <laughs> yeah, or, or he would be playing Ryu right now, you know, kind of thing. And he's he's already spoken about that. Now, you take his Guile and you make that a low-tier character right before Capcom Cup, and you take a lot of the things he's used to get there, that's going to get him, that's going to ruffle feathers big time. Now, Guile isn't very high on the priority list in terms of nerfing, but Akuma is. And right now, Takamura is the only Akuma player who's qualified, so maybe it's, you know, kind of like a that that's what it is, but... I don't know, man. I, I think that the characters who get hit hard, and that's pretty much an inevitable prospect every single year when it comes to these big balance updates. There's some big winners, but there are some big losers. <laughs> and if your character is a big loser and you've trained with them for a year, I, let, let's say, like, I, I'll take myself, for example. I've trained with Monat for, like, three freaking years, right? And, and all of a sudden, let's say I make Capcom Cup by some freaking miracle, like, on top of a miracle, because that's what it would take for me to get in there. Um, uh, just some unbelievable stretch of the imagination and you take my character and you nerf her into the ground i'd be livid i would be like what the hell like i've trained for the last several years to get this character up here and now she's like a shell of herself of course i'm gonna lose of course i'm not gonna do that well um and, and I, so i could see the players especially if their characters get hit here in december having a ton of blow-ups on twitter like even even people where it is not their normal approach to go do that i could see them doing it because it, it's you're literally just destroying them right before the biggest event of the entire year yeah there's plenty of drama that could go into this now as i as i hear you talk about that first of all What's most likely to happen is that the higher tier characters uh, are, are more likely to get nerfed. And if that happens, yes, as the Akuma player or the Yurian player or whomever, you're going to be upset naturally by that. But I wonder how many people are going to feel all that upset for you. It's like, yeah, this yeah. is a really crappy time, but you've also had, you know, <laughs> matter of fact, side switches and training wheel fireballs and all of this stuff that these characters have had for so long and like I, I I don't imagine an Alex player is gonna feel too bad for you because they're just like, yeah, well I've only been able to you know, I've I've lived here in the mud since day one and I haven't even really had a shot at even getting there in the first place. So that you know be what, interesting. John, you know what? You can go straight to hell because you just took my extremely valid point and turned it on its damn head. Oh, I'm and not I don't even like done. that. No, that, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. And it's like again, it's it's how much can these players complain when they pick the top tier? That's the risk you you get it when you pick a top tier, right? I'm sorry, in, I totally jumped in. Please continue. No, that's that's cool. That's what we do here on podcast. It's fun. But uh, in, now you gave the example of Manat, who I would say is more around a mid tier character. She certainly has some very high tier abilities, but that doesn't factor in. To every single match 
and, uh, and, and we've seen her fall off considerably since the uh, changes after season three. I would be very surprised in that kind of a scenario if a mid-tier character that just barely squeaked into Capcom Cup then got nerfed. That wouldn't be a very good story, uh, and, and that would be ultimately bad. And I also would say that changing things heavily right before the big dance, you know, is you know, changing the rules of, of the NFL right before the Super Bowl is not a good look. And, yep. and I would hope that that wouldn't be what Capcom would do, even in this scenario. Um, as I look at the roadmap here, it says Winter 2020, and then you have Dan, the new stage, the new costumes, the new battle mechanic, and new battle balance. And you have to think, well, okay, so if it's Winter 2020, the only real month where you have winter is is like the second half of December in 2020, right? But I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if they're just looking at more of the winter and not the 2020 part, which is a very possible thing here with Capcom and they're seeing this as something of a season then maybe you have Dan come out in December or like along with you know the stuff but then the actual uh, balance changes in the mechanics like the the uh, the new character and the the cosmetic stuff can come out but then the balance changes in the mechanic doesn't come out until after Capcom Cup something like that that might be the approach that they do here um, but the more no, we talk I about just, it I, I just have to say again I have to that says on here on the roadmap winter 2020 very you know clear words and stuff and the only i think the previous roadmap had like months on there instead of you know seasons of the year basically but i mean that gives them a really definitive timeline to launch a stuff in it gives them like and, 15 days yeah and and there's there's a bunch of other stuff that kind of goes into this with the you know financial budgets and other stuff i don't know if it's necessarily so easy for capcom to move this stuff around uh I'm we also technically we're, we're gonna, winter of 2020 is is like january and february earlier this year you know technically exactly. speaking it's only December. That's the only month they can do this all in. And and so there there's some interesting timelines that they are working with here, and we're going to get into it here in a little bit, but Street Fighter Six is also a factor here. So but you don't think that they could be doing it in January, February, uh, and, and including that as part of this block of winter 2020? I mean that would be that would be highly misleading. You know, I mean it's possible. No one said uh, it was Akuma. I mean, it, it, it's now you see that's the thing is Capcom's under new management, and we have you know Ono's basically gone. He's maybe still there in spirit, but he's pretty much gone. <laughs> and if you want to set a, a strong precedent and um, you want to change the guard here, and that's a big reason why Ono is out the door. Um, there were a number of people unhappy with what Ono did there. And I, I will actually address this too because I've heard in other places that, that literally everyone hated Ono. I know for a freaking fact that was not the case. Ono was beloved inside of Capcom by some people too that work there. That includes a bunch of people at Capcom USA, Capcom Japan, and other places. Um, he was not universally hated, but he also had made some enemies there over the years. I will say that as well. But um, So if you're coming into to Street Fighter V and you go on there, your face is on there, and you release this roadmap document, you better freaking stick to it. Are you setting the same kind of precedent that Ono got blasted to smithereens for? And, and so I don't think that they can do that. And I don't think they would do that. Now, I'm not saying they, they couldn't. It's Capcom. Like, expect the unexpected. So when you say, hey, there's a possibility, I, should, I really want to refute that, but I can't. You're 100% you're right. That is a possibility. Well, with where we're standing now and with what we've assessed so far, it would be a kind of a call for them to, as you're saying, extend winter 2020 out into 2021 and therefore do some of this in December and some of it after whenever Capcom Cup happens. 
but I would say it would be even if we did a big balance update right before Capcom Cup and everybody further goes into it with this asterisk of, yeah, but everything just changed and everyone's playing on this essentially like a, a considerably new game and then therefore all of the stakes are immediately lowered in a certain sense for everybody. Like, that's a bad call too. So it's like, pick your poison. And I would say that the term winter 2020 being confined to the last 15 or so days of December is a less sin than what I just said. Yeah, I think from the perspective you're looking at it from, that's correct. But Capcom has a bunch of other financial and other concerns they have to account for. And these developers, again, taking things over, they don't want one of their first most notorious things to be like, hey, we just flat out lied to you in this document we put out. Um, they want to hold up to that stuff. So I get where you're coming from. I would be pretty surprised if they did that based on this alone. But um, it's Capcom. I can't rule it out. Uh, but one other thing I do want to mention is not only are you having the players have to adjust for their mains, but the other competitors they're facing are now now going to have to adjust for a bunch of different balance adjustments coming in as well. Uh, how many times can I say adjust there? But anyway, um, it, 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 this is really turning the game somewhat on its head. I mean, it's so late in the game's lifespan. I don't expect a just gigantic overhaul to the game's systems and engines. Um, I think that we saw with the red focus mechanic in uh, Street Fighter 4, it definitely added new flavors into the game, but it wasn't a dramatic reworking of how the game works. Um, it was more of an evolution of what was currently there. And I kind of expect like season six to be on a similar level here for Street Fighter V. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, I have to sit and think about that red focus thing, man, because I felt the, the, the pain of Yun now having yes. red focus and, and Zangief, Snake Eyes of Zangief getting a red focus to, to augment his already amazing um, approach and tool set. So, uh, I mean, that I'd have to sit and really look at the details to tell you whether or not I think that the red focus was more of just an enhancement versus a game changer. But, yeah... <laughs> it's an unprecedented shift for the competitors there, and I definitely don't envy them, but hey, look, you're, you're playing for half a million dollars, you're playing a video game to do it, um, you've probably played a very privileged top-tier character to get there. I'm not going to cry too many tears for you, but I will point it out here on the podcast uh, and mention it, because it is a very notable and interesting thing, and it will be fun to watch it play out. Like, it's definitely going to add some new layers of drama in there. Uh, the infamous random factors that you hate so much, well, we're definitely seeing those come into play. Uh, what is it? Chaos random factors, as you call them. Um, mm -hmm. oof, man. Well, and, and I, will, I will just kind of say this to tag on to the end here in that it's it, well Capcom has started to really find something of a stride here in esports uh, I guess I'm not saying that it's well it's it's pretty good you know it's, it's pretty decent here with what we've had with the Pro Tour with the evolution of the Pro Tour uh, they've had some bumps in the road that they have smoothened out but they haven't smoothened the road over completely and now you have this situation where everyone kind of sees it as the stakes lowered a bit because of COVID and because we're just making the most of a situation uh, that's otherwise pretty unfortunate. And so it's kind of a good testing bed to be able to do these sort of different things and see how they, one, resonate with people, how they actually affect what your um, your event and your, and your tour, how that all plays out. And, you know, kind of test the waters here because we're in a lower stakes scenario. So with that in mind, it's like, yeah, let's let's see what this does. Let's see how people respond to it. Let's see how it affects things really and beyond just the Twitter reactions and things along those lines and kind of find more and more of your identity 
that you can take and move forward with into the future. And maybe you find like, yeah, we're never going to do that again in, in terms of putting a huge balance patch right before Capcom Cup because it was just this disastrous scenario, even when it was the, the 2020 Capcom Cup, you know? So uh, maybe we find that. Maybe we find it's just fine and people don't have a problem at all. And this can very much be a practice moving forward. And hey, that's like that, that works out for everybody. Um, we don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see. So, yeah, I, I think this is a good time to be doing this if you have to be doing it. And, and you do. You know, you have to figure out how you're yeah. going to really do this. And a lot of it is going to be trial and error. You know, John, you could tell me anything. Just don't tell me things are going to change because I can't handle that. So no, it's, change no is dice. terrible. Yeah, ugh, <laughs> screw that. Never That never happens in life either. It's always the same. Yeah. So anyway, but fans should definitely circle the, the Capcom 20, uh, 2020 date, though, which is going to be in 2021 and man it gets confusing saying that but uh, i have been hearing numerous rumors that street fighter 6 will be announced at that event uh that will give them a year's time to market the new game for a potential 2022 release um so uh, i mean we keep hearing street fighter 6 is coming and it makes a ton of sense um so yeah so there it is i mean it's going to be an explosive event for a lot of reasons and Mm -hmm. it should be really fun to watch uh, because drama is freaking entertaining do we even know what to expect mostly with it? I, I, my mind is that they're going to fly everybody out to a location, but we don't even... Yeah, and yeah it's going to be in, a, in the United States, right? So it will be local. So it'll be uh, an event where be. they qualified online, but they're playing locally at the end. Yeah, that, that's what they're talking about right now. They haven't given a lot of details. Like they haven't even said it's in the United States, but that's the assumption. I, maybe they did actually, but no, I know they did because it was going to be in Paris. In and then Paris, one of yeah. the big updates was that it was now going to be back in the U.S. I gotcha. So uh, we'll see. You know, all they've said about it is first quarter 2021, and there's like 20 competitors and all that. One of them's like going to be fan voted, uh, and then we know like you know Idom's in there for returning champion, and then there's you know 18 other brand new people coming mm-hmm. in so brand new relatively speaking it's the same old guard for the fgc events but uh but yeah and a very strong chance that punk will not be one of those people because he's already in the losers bracket of his second and final chance to get into it so he needs to he needs to travel to a few other countries and whatnot and play there like you can you can really up your odds by doing that i i don't think that's like against the rules either like you could travel to like you know the eastern united states or go wherever and compete there um but i don't know maybe punk feels confident in um in losers bracket maybe he feels confident in the fan vote getting him in Uh, i'm not exactly sure um, but yeah, I think the fan vote, the more I think about it, is more and more exciting to me. And mm-hmm. it, it adds to that drama factor. Of course it's going to. But there is a re- like there are a lot of people that are not qualified that you would just expect as almost shoe ins or that are just always at Capcom Cup. Right. You know, like Tokido and, and Punk and such. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of those names that are one of them will be decided because it right. Because last year's. 32 or 31 contestants are going to be those that are up for this vote like it's going to be one of the 2019 finalists get voted in uh, but only one of them so what if both punk and tokido are, are on that list and i think a lot of people are like i want to have the strongest competitor because i want to see some high ass level street fighter 5 yeah and then they have to choose between that that is going to be exciting that's going to yeah. be there's going to be some salty bets going on for that it's going to be especially exciting if like the we get the number one person in and Capcom randomly picks someone else further down the list and says, we, we put them in instead. <laughs> Cause that would never maybe happen. Right? Sykes. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. they'll let Sykes be in uh, Capcom cup this time. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, that was an interesting moment in time, uh, but we'll go ahead and move on here. Like John, I know you're working on a bunch of stuff here in street fighter five. Yeah. Tell the listeners what you're doing. 
So I picked up Seth and I continue to play this character and I wanted to sort of just go through what my experiences have been thus far in playing a new character because it's a lot of it has taken me back to uh, you know 101 classes that it's very good to revisit on on the fairly regular and um, man it's been it's been frustrating it's been fun it's been encouraging uh, but you know ultimately it, it does it does feel like um, it's, it's really important to pick up different characters because it gives you such a perspective of the things that whatever your character that you previously were, was main, or were maining uh, just doesn't see for whatever reason, right? And mm -hmm. so I'm seeing so much more uh, with this character in terms of like, well, for one thing, it feels like I've taken weighted training clothes off when it comes to playing in the neutral because Seth's reach is considerably farther and more rewarding when you hit like a whiff punish than a lot of the characters that I previously used used and um and then like what comes down or what comes along with those kinds of things and how it opens up the game and opens up your perspective to what's going on in the game and the potential for different things is incredibly interesting to me um and i know that both you and steven have been watching from you know the other side of the coin um as you've been playing against my seth and observing and and you know um, helping me along back through 101 school. I feel like I've got like a spinny hat on, you know, and like a balloon and a lunchbox and I'm going to like just school on the first day despite having, you know, been playing this stuff for 10 years and such. Uh, and and a lot of it, you do have to humble yourself down and realize that yeah. where you were going, where you were able to do crush counter punishes, for instance, uh, that hasn't been something that I've, I probably should have started closer with crush counter punishes, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't ironed those out yet, and so for plenty of times, people would whiff DPs, and I'd just like, I don't know what to do, and just do like a weird overhead that, that gets blocked instead of like a full crush <laughs> counter punish, right? And you go, I really am that little kid, I look like a Ness with a little spinny cap on. Uh, and But I did want to ask, what has your perspective of this all gone, you know, because I remind people, I, you know, I've been playing for about 10 years, I've played with a lot of really strong players, I've done pretty well at EVO, I've got a, a decent resume, and then yet I feel like this little kid not able to do almost anything right now, and you guys are watching that, what's it like from your point of view? I mean, so one of the, I'll take people back, and um, we, we've rated Nikali as one of the worst, you know, um, characters to play in the game from a technical standpoint like he's brain dead easy uh right there with uh cammy and bison and i still think he's like hands down the worst um and we've advised john to kind of pick up some other characters so that he can understand some more nuances and other stuff in, in the game it's not like that stuff is not available to nikali but if it's like a, a 10 out of 10 for someone like seth it's like a 3 out of 10 for someone like nikali like he just can't play the same games that everyone else can do because he does not have those tools it's just pretty much like devour hour hour that's all he has like and it's so what i've been watching with your play is I, i'm seeing your grasp and understanding of everything going on growing a lot and it's really fun to see it's like you're you're doing a bunch of new things all the time now and it's really it's a varied experience that i get to play against you and and before it's it, it, it and you guys have all played this like if you played against a bison or a cami or a nikali like you you kind of hit a certain point where you're like i have seen everything you've done a thousand times in a row now like, yeah, I'm good. I, I really don't want to play you again anytime soon because it's like, this is just kind of a, it's boring. It's really, and it, you kind know, of predictable. Predictable. 
Yeah, it's, it's the infamous, you know, Nikali quote. He's a super boring character. So, and from my end, it's been like, dude, it's actually been beautiful because instead of having like these hard limits that you are not impossible to get past, but really hard to get past, you're able to explore the game in a very nuanced and intelligent and awesome way. And, and so that's what I look at mostly. Um, you know, uh, that's it's really beautiful to see. Oh, well, thanks, boss. Um, please keep that in mind when you're kicking my ass, uh, frustrating the hell out of me with monot zoning as I'm trying to just basically figure out inputs and, and uh, you know, how to traverse the screen without a million orbs flying at my face and things along those lines. Uh, I've, I've had had fun playing. I've been very frustrating at the same time because um, Seth is relatively technical mm-hmm. and low life. And so even when I, uh, you know, do the work and, and I'm successful at it, and this only happens so often, especially early on where you've created the opening that you want the ability to capitalize on it then or the lack thereof especially because it's like okay so i've got the counter hit now depending on how close i am to the corner how much meteor i have whether or not v trigger is activated or on deck um, i have to choose my follow-up right now to be most optimal and you've got 30 different potential routes there and if you don't choose the right one immediately you drop the combo and then all of a sudden all of the work that you've just been doing it turns into you're getting v trigger comboed the other direction put in the corner and good luck because you don't have much life after that and so as I mean, it's, it's no it's no news to anyone that's been in the fighting game community for any amount of time that there is a very high ceiling and then when you start especially with a new character you're just going to be getting your ass kicked for a long time before you start to see much in the way of results and of course that's been something that people have um, highlighted as uh, well a bit of a, a detriment to the genre it kind of just is what it is and I don't see um, I mean there's a lot of reward to it too because the reward that gets paid off when you just jump in and all you have to do is hit Q or W in a certain direction and, and and that makes your character win like that's cool and that's fun it's going to get you invested to a degree but when you really have to earn it and it finally comes together and you get those whiff punishes and you get the confirm and you take him to the corner and then you do some satisfying ass seth combos because of v trigger one or i mean v trigger two looks amazing too but i haven't even begun to deal deal with that um but you know the payoff is really big and i'm starting to feel that more and more feel it come together and not only that but i'm also feeling it come together in different ways uh one of the easy ways to show this is like in different matchups where i felt like i've had uh, very few tools to deal with the matchup now all of a sudden i have to look at it from a different point of view with seth and i actually have better uh, options and tools to to deal with stuff so that kind of opens up the game in specific matchups in ways that it hasn't been before but i i very very heavily recommend and i understand the reservation for a lot of people because i have it more than most uh, of exploring other characters and doing new stuff because it helps you not only with that character but with everything else your concept of the game your ability with other fighters uh, it's, it's it's really something you should do so yeah, yeah. And I'll note to people that John is really good at putting in place things he's already very proficient at that that's his foundation and it's a great approach for anyone learning a new character don't feel like you need to master like for example if you're picking up not don't try to master her V-Trigger 1 from the get go save that as like a later step down the road instead like practice the stuff that you already can do with other characters and bring that to life with, with that character now and you have like a hundred or more things to learn so start with the stuff you know start mm-hmm. with the foundation that will get you somewhere and that's what John has done like you go and you can watch John's um, ranked matches on CFN and you'll see he's beating like diamond and better players already he's already up to diamond ranked with Seth dude I took out a uh, Grandmaster Akuma today 
Nice. Yeah, and I know you got there with other characters, but still, you're you're still gaining points with Seth. It's not like, uh, and a lot of people could not just immediately pick up a character as, as technical and difficult to learn as Seth and get there, in my opinion. Uh, I think you are showing the very strong skill set you have, and again, one of the big ways you're doing there is building a foundation off of what you already know and already are proficient at. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're looking to pick up a new character yourself, I, I definitely advise starting there. Um, John is very good about relaying training advice and other stuff. He's relayed advice to the entire team about how to train up in these games and I think everyone has uh, adopted that approach now I know I have I know a number of other people have like it's like he's got really good advice on 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 foundational stuff that works universally well so you know I was actually considering whether or not I should start to talk about how if you if you're going to crack open a new character what kind of things should you practice first and I don't have my mind 100% convinced here uh, in this sort of order but I can especially with all that you just said uh, give my uh, a few thoughts as to what I've done so far and what has worked for me um, and very briefly because again I'm not super into this like I haven't like I ironed it down yet but what I think is you go in and as far as your character's movement and what it feels like to jump and stuff like that those kind of things sort of just get picked up naturally while you're playing the rest so I I don't spend too much time feeling that out it kind of just comes naturally what I first start to do is um, is and with all the resources now you can go on like Vesper Arcade has amazing for instance um, you know examples of like here are your bread and butter combos here are your standard pokes here's your you know whatever you need with whatever level you're at at the uh, early stages of a character you can find that information pretty quickly and and then enter Immediate and expert, uh, that's all there too on YouTube and CFN and, and, and forums and whatnot. Uh, if people are still doing the forums thing, <laughs> but uh, the, the first thing that I kind of do is figure out what my pokes are, you know, so just feel what the buttons feel like to press, and um, and then you can always watch and see what other, you know, higher level examples, what moves they're using because they've probably figured out, well, this has a good hurt box or this has a good uh, confirm potential. So you just first find out how to control the space with normals, and once you've done that, you figure out which ones lead into your bread and butter. And then you figure out the bread and butters, and then you try to make that those two things work together, so, right? So you can just kind of dance this uh, sort of fencing dance where you're just poking and playing footsies, and then when you do finally get a hit there, you can convert it into whatever your follow-up is, whether that's for damage or for oaky or whatever. Um, and you know that that's a really good starting point. Oh things like what happens when you get a crush counter you should just be able to know that you know like practice that for a while uh practice what it is to have an anti-air so a lot of real simple things like that and um and there's more to it there but that's all before you start going into like what happens when i you know i'm, I'm in a uh, an oaky situation and know i want to put pressure on and things like that just get the basics down so that you can control the space in front of you and do the things that you're going to be doing the most because that's going to be the most important and then stuff kind of branches out from there so you know it's this is really more something that you'd want to sit down and have you know like an itemized list for and and an explanation for but those are sort of the basics that i have found um in in my training process because you sit down you go like well there's a there's this massive ball of potential how do i go about beginning to to you know draw some order out of it and you know what do i practice first those are some of the things i would practice first those are those are good foundational things and what I do to elaborate a little bit on the list thing is I, I go in there and I watch uh, CFN replays, which I think are the best way to level up in the entire game. I'm going to be doing an article about it here in the f- near future, or uh, myself or someone else on the team will be. And go in there and watch replays and then 
notice the the key major things you see over and over again and make a note about them on your phone or you know on a document or whatever you like to take notes on um, and then uh, you're going to come out like with about 30 or 40 or 50 different notes or whatever <laughs> what you do is take like two or three of those yes. put them at the very top of your list and focus on those until you feel like you have them down and when you feel like you have them down then, then move on from them like you you don't need those excuse me you don't need those anymore um and you can move on and, and start going down, you know, the other 20 or 30 items. Mm-hmm. And Once they've deposited find. into like your natural, you don't have to think about it. They don't need to be in the forefront of your mind in order for you to do them sort of place. Exactly. Then you can move on. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. And, and as you're playing matches and other things too, add to that list. Like you can make that list like it, as long as you want it to be, but only work on a couple things at a time. And, mm-hmm. and that way you, if you see something you know is really important and you're like, but I can't focus on that right now, you have it written down, you're not going to forget about it. It's right there. And that kind of helps you just have the tunnel vision or, or whatever, the focus that you need to, to just get through and level up on the key areas of your character. And, yeah. and that is a system I, I've had in place since Street Fighter 4. I just told John about it. I think you said that helped you out a good bit. I think you might have had something similar beforehand, but uh, but there it is. I never do it with that much, like like writing it down, or I should say I previously never had that much of an approach, but I've tried to be more structured and more, uh, you know, sort of scientific in my approach, more orderly in my approach, um, instead of just depending on sort of gut reaction and feelings to get through it all and it it is very helpful like at the end of the day every time you've forgotten something before it's like well if you had written it down you wouldn't have forgotten it and there's plenty of instances in my life where I'm like yeah well I I failed there because I didn't remember Um, and and so in this I, I I agree with that approach 100% and you and you tack on little things that um, it, it's interesting because as you get better you get worse too uh, for, yeah. for snippets yeah. of time I was talking to, uh, to John before the uh, before we started recording here I played a, a couple of sets with Steven yesterday and I only won one of the first to fives but I had actually previously done better against Steven with my Seth uh, like in the set or two before that but I've tacked on a few new things that I have to actively be aware of and so i'm working more on refining those things than i am um you know trying to get the win i'm still trying to get the wins of course but you have to spend a lot of like what would you call it kind of your your mental mana you know your your ability your focus on those things and and if it's there then it's not on all of the rest of the stuff that it needs to be otherwise so you're not going to be as ready for anti-airs because you're really looking for you know whatever the new button is you're trying to master and figure out its place in your arsenal Uh, for instance right now uh, today um, I was working specifically on if you Seth's standing heavy punch is, or I'm sorry standing heavy kick is the little backflip anti-air that's amazing it's kind of slow but if you anti-air with it you can go into a uh, spin kick and then even more pain after that especially if you have a V-trigger activated uh, and so you can use that as an anti-air but you can also use it as a shimmy and so I was spending a lot of extra time doing that more often than I would normally in today's sessions and what happens is like you're, you're going to lose more because you're doing it at weird places to see see yep. if it works there to see it's like all right well is this good and it happens to be something that's fairly slow but it actually works really well as a shimmy situation in the corner and you might not think of that immediately but hey it's through this kind of exploration and i got my butt kicked a handful of times for using it at the wrong places but i'm ironing it out and it's going to become one of those things that eventually gets deposited into my subconscious and i do at the right spots without thinking about so that's where i'm personally at right now but uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff right now that uh, isn't as efficient because I'm trying to iron it out. 
Mm -hmm. And one of the things I can really advise for people too is that if this stuff seems so overwhelming and not, you know, good to do, like in terms of like, you're just going to be bored doing it, don't do it. Like do the stuff that's fun. You know, like it, these games are supposed to be fun, so have fun with them. And there are a ton of fun things you can practice. Like if you hate doing, let's say like hit confirms, right? You don't have to practice those right away. If, you're, if your goal is to, you know, win Evo or, um, well, that doesn't, maybe it doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> but to win Capcom Cup or something like that, or, um, you know, get up there. Yeah, sure, you have to work on that stuff, but like you can work on that later on down the road. That does not have to be one of the first things that you work on. Have fun with the, the things that you enjoy. If it's setups, if it's like tr frame traps, if it's like dirty, you know, freaking like wild mix-ups and all that kind of stuff. Focus on that first. It's totally fine. And just make a note of the other things. And you can come back to that stuff. And actually what I found for myself is that those other things become fun as my knowledge and uh, abilities grow. Like mm -hmm. I, I never thought that I would enjoy some of the stuff with Monot that I actually enjoy with a character now. So save the the quote unquote boring or, or difficult stuff for last and, and focus heavily on the fun stuff first. It, it, you're going to get to the same destination and probably even a little bit faster uh, if you do it that way. Yeah. And one of the fun things to do is be plus two in someone's face. So maybe one of the <laughs> things you could do is figure out how to get your character to be plus two in someone's face. And then what that implies is you're also going to be able to push buttons there and do some offense. And that's, you know, one of the funnest things to be able to do in this game. So that can be, <clears throat> excuse me, that can be a good initial sort of goal. It's like, well, how does my character get to be plus two? You know, maybe I have just awesome move that that I don't even have to spend meter on that just gets me next to him and I'm plus two because I'm a Kuma or someone like that. But Oh, you know, you're Seth. Yeah, you're, you're, you're freaking heavy kick spin kicks. Oh, those things are so good. But you do have to space them and be careful because you can get blown up on startup, right? But yeah. uh, man, those things are good. And plus mm -hmm. two. So, so the uh, well, did you have any more about my Seth? Because I wanted to uh, jump into a similar kind of conversation, but it's a little further down the road in terms of um, figuring out your approach to not only a new character, but just playing in general. Go for it, man. So I, uh, you know, I've been playing a lot online because it's pretty much all we can do these days, and I've been playing up through the lower ranks, as I've noted before, and um, and I was also watching recently a Brian F video where he commented on this, and he had a lot of uh, a lot of the same stuff that I have you know said in the past or, or thought in the past, but he articulated it pretty well, and um, so that kind of got it on my on my mind because it's very relevant to what I'm doing right now, but also just for people in general, and that is. When you are playing online, a lot of the times uh, you will feel, especially when you're still getting used to something, um, like there is nothing you can do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and playing against a zoner like Monot as one of your go-to training partners, and then also Steven's Gill, which is very much a zoning-based, uh, you know, keep you at bay and, and only play on my terms type of character. And then if you're ever not on Steven's terms, uh, an EX Lariat's coming out to put you back on his terms or just to die. But like uh, that, that can be frustrating in that you feel like like I just don't have options. Like I, I can't do, I can't go in horizontally. I can't go in from the air. What, like what am I supposed to do? They have options for everything, and that has um, you know I was saying a little bit earlier that playing with Seth has kind of forced me to look from different perspectives and use different tools to circumvent similar situations that I had, of course, with my other characters. And what I've come to kind of understand uh, on, on a deeper level, this is something I could have said before, but I, I appreciate 
bit more now. And so I want to bring it up to people and maybe have you marinate on this a little more, marinate in it a little more and, and get in a, a deeper understanding of it, is that there's a high probability that you are you are committing to macro movements and attacks mm-hmm. when you need to be committing more to micro movements and attacks in order to make the macro effective. Because yep. if you approach Minot, she has a hurt boxless, uh, you know, ability to keep you at bay on the ground. But then her anti-airs are great, and if she hits you out with, you know, if she resets you in midair and then dashes in, well, now she's at a, a positive situation. You have to deal with her pressure, uh, rinse and repeat if she hits you, right? And so it can feel like, well, I can't dash forward, I can't jump forward, I can't, I can hardly play footsies with her. Uh, those are my options. What the hell do I do now? And you can very easily plateau at that spot. Well, the answer is you are committing like a, a forward dash or a forward jump. That's a macro movement, a fierce mm-hmm. button, like a sweep or something like that. That's macro. And the payoffs are macro are big and they and they, you know, they cover a lot of ground at once. They do a lot of damage at once. So they're very, very um, appealing, but they don't have the nuance to thread the needle. So if instead of Every time you get within dashing range, you dash forward and it becomes super predictable and you don't have the ability to block. Predictable! Maybe you just kind of wiggle. Maybe you stick out a few different buttons that are not heavies, but that alert your opponent to have to like, all right, I got to care about crouching medium kick. I got to care about the reach of standing medium punch. Now I got to care about whatever other little options like i'm throwing out jabs and stuff that gives that takes their attention and puts it on those other little places and the more that you do that the more juggling pins you're throwing their way all of a sudden they're not ready for that forward dash they're not ready for that forward jump and the thing that really turned me on about this uh, and, and to a new level with seth is the fact that he has a baked in version of this with his axe kick right because mm-hmm. the axe kick turns much like what cami can do and a few others turns a forward jump or a neutral jump into more of a mix-up and it immediately forces uh, opponents to start thinking about it because he cuts his trajectory short um, and still doesn't attack so it's very very wonky and a movement that you very rarely see in street fighter and what that does is now when i forward jump even though it's completely and blatantly obvious if it comes after me doing three of these axe kicks at various ranges and especially if the opponent has gotten hit by a few of them they're just like i'm not messing with that i know that if i try to interact here uh, I'm, I'm it's not going to go well for me or at least it has in the past they freeze up and now you didn't do an axe kick you did a forward jump and that worked and you're either hitting them or you're in with the uh, you know the the positive frames of a forward jump that's the level that you got to play at if you're feeling like I don't know what to do and nothing is working for me. You're probably yeah. operating too much in the macro. Yeah, it's Street Fighter Five from the onset. We we talked to developers right before the game came out, and they said this game is all about commitments. And if you hit a button in this game, just a single button at the wrong place, wrong time, that could be your butt right there. You're done. GGS. Um, and bigger buttons, as you say, are bigger commitments in this. So. It's this is kind of how you manage the game. Like it's man, is it so tempting to get that crush counter and neutral and other stuff? And if you're Urian, like you don't have to really worry about this stuff, right? Everything just went right over your head. Uh, Shouts to that. But anyway, <laughs> um, but again, that and this is how come I stress so much for John, like playing a character like Seth, because it's stuff that is really beautiful in this game and very fun to explore. But some cast members they don't unfortunately get to explore it like other people do, and that really is a fault of the design. You know, that's not on any players at all. 
that's Capcom having too much of an issue kind of like with the launch roster of this game and a few other characters just being a little bit too brain dead easy. Uh, and I, I'm not going to go too far into that because we've touched on that a lot. But um, I just wanted to give some like counterbalancing points to what John is saying to see like kind of like this is what kind of makes up the whole picture of the game. And, it, and it's why sometimes people call the game brain dead and other things because of the reward that you can get from these big buttons. Sure. But, Especially with V-Trigger cancels, you know, it, yeah. And, and the, but the higher levels you get up to in this game, the le the more dialed back this stuff is. Like you're gonna see like the crazy ass bisons and urians and stuff much more at lower levels than you're gonna see them at higher levels. Like if, if someone's at a grandmaster, you know, bison or urian level, usually they not always, but usually they've gotten there by by pretty legitimate means. Um, and, and it's it's something that you know like you can kind of see the nuance and other stuff in their play uh, but of course you know it, it, I say that and of course I, I got hit by five ex stomps before I could finish that sentence so <laughs> not always there but but usually it is well and then the other big thing about it is that you will have to deal with players usually Ken but sometimes other characters <laughs> that operate fully in the macro right that are yeah. just going to consistently do I'm gonna do heavy punch and then I'm gonna cancel into run whether it hit or not and that's that's interruptible, but it's on you to beat that. It's on you to, when I whiff a, a light DP in the neutral and then rip an, an EX because you go for the punish, like you have to be able to like corral the chaos. And that is not easy in this game, especially with as many training wheels as Street Fighter V does tend to put on the chaotic approaches. Some characters get to get to do a lot of this stuff with little risk or little cost, you know, not a lot of meter or something like that. And that's very much part of to get to that higher level when you're talking about like the bisons that aren't super crazy in their approach. Um, they're still very much able to control when people do the crazy stuff and and beat it. And I am freaking not there yet, man. Yep. Like I can tell you right now, <laughs> for as long as I've been playing fighting games and I know what zany looks like, but to be able to identify and and then manipulate that the the micro or the macro is still very difficult. And it still requires a lot of precision and a lot of not getting tilted when the BS works against you. Uh, so it's hard to do. That's a, that's another big part of this equation. Um, but it, it, it you know you have to be able to do it. And and the way you do it is you understand the frame data. You know when you're positive. You practice being positive. You know if you're if for me Seth's crouching jab um, leaves him like I think it's like plus two or three, which is or no uh, uh, crouching jab is, is not plus three. It's like I think it's plus two. But then you go into standing medium. And that's like the direct frame trap scenario. And if someone's zany and pushing buttons in between, if you have that sequence hammered down and you know the timing, so there's not enough of a gap for them to actually hit you, you do that. There's nothing they can do there short of like ripping a DP. And then, you know, next time you're just going to jab block and let them hang themselves. But it is hard to master letting someone hang themselves. But you, you do that by just being completely airtight in your um, in your frame data scenarios and then taking as few risks as possible if you identify that someone is, is a risk taker you just let them take all the risks and much easier said than done but that's that's how you begin to uh, to approach that and tackle that particular beast or you start playing hella random like at a distance where they can't punish you and then you get closer and act like you're going to be random again and then they try to punish you and you kill them. Oh, <laughs> you're a pretty... secret Ken player, huh? Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I, I may or may not have played against a Warlord Ken who's infamous for... Uh, chaotic play we'll just say and beat them um but uh again but that that also comes later on down the road too it's like uh, 
uh, corralling the the chaotic play is something I'm still learning how to do. Uh, it's definitely something we could touch on in a future podcast if people mm-hmm. are interested. But uh, there's a lot of layers to this game is what I'm getting at. And if you think this game is like piece of cake, you know, and anyone can play it and play it at a high level, you know, I, I think we've seen plenty of evidence contrary to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what we're talking here is about the depth the game really, truly does offer. It's a really brilliant game in its own ways. There are some major, major, major flaws in this game, but in some of the ways it offers like uh, offensive creativity and, and the ability to have freedom to kind of play how you want to, it's really nice. Um, and it's it's really under-respected in that regard, but man, there's so that, many layers to this game we could talk about, but yeah. That sets me up exactly for what I want to go into next. We're talking a lot about people that you'd probably identify as dumb, simple players that are uh, overly simplifying their approach to the game and taking the fun out of it, right? Well, to an extent. But I am very hesitant, especially now with where I'm at in my fighting game career, to say that very much is no longer valid. Um, there, there are scenarios where the risk-reward just doesn't make sense and you would very, very sparingly use something. Something like um, a sweep in the neutral as your just absolute go-to button, not the smartest thing in the world, right? Or if you're using critical art as a poking tool and it's, and it's not working for you, like maybe that's not the right risk-reward. But there are a lot of scenarios like where you're minus two, for instance. So your opponent has advantage where you're quote-unquote not supposed to be pressing a button because it's quote-unquote not your turn. If you just say, well, it's not my turn, so I'm not going to push a button anytime I'm negative two, you're going to get your ass kicked, right? Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because, yeah, and people make the joke, especially in Street Fighter V, you're only as minus as you feel because mm-hmm. so often, um, well, I won't go too far down that. Uh, I have grown up, so to speak, in a, uh, well, obviously here in the Arizona community, and um, I, I have to say that uh, there, there's, and I've seen this in other communities as well, but it's certainly here in my home community, this idea that you have to play a certain way, and if you don't, you're bad. There is some credence to that because there are more efficient ways to play than others. But that idea kind of gets wrapped up in a player's pride when they're losing to someone that they don't think that they should be losing to. And they're probably right in certain respects. And it becomes more about taking away from the other player's win and, and, and minimizing the fact that you lost than it is about helping the other person do what's right. And I have, I've, I mean, I've been in this community and in this atmosphere. I'm guilty of it as well to a certain extent um, both maybe and I, I can't remember specific examples of me saying this to someone oh, but I, I can remember surprised. specific examples of you there saying you this to me so yeah well, <laughs> and it's fine it, oh, it's you're, you're, you yeah. know well, while we're talking about it uh your Vega and your Bison are sweep masters, and I, I didn't even mean to bring that up as like the example, but I did, and it's like yeah. you are—you've done more sweeps in the neutral now, given it's Vega and Bison, so they yeah. kind of are more akin to doing that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, your your sweeps are, are bonkers in the uh, in the neutral, uh, so I actually stand by that particular. But there probably are other examples where I wasn't um, wasn't really in the right to to say it, so to speak. Anyways, one of the one of the quick examples I will share is uh, just. Uh, we were playing Nikali versus Monat, and you're like, you keep hitting buttons even though you're minus. And uh, and a subject that we'll get into in a future date is risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, risk versus reward is a huge concept in Street Fighter V, and that's why that comes in there. And, and to, to, to help kind of encapsulate this a little bit more, make it a little bit more clear, yes, you don't want to hit buttons when you're minus, when you're negative two. It's a bad idea, unless 
the the risk outweighs the reward there. That is the big game changer at that point in time. But I'm sorry, I jumped in too much. Well, Please continue. Yeah. And, and sometimes the risk doesn't technically outweigh the reward, right? Mm-hmm. But there there's a lot more to the equation than just the frame data. I think that's what it kind of gets to. Now, yes. I, um, and this is my fault for, for you know, taking it this way and letting it be this. But through being in this atmosphere and hearing it, and again, it's not just the Arizona scene and it's not everyone in the Arizona scene. I've seen it in other scenes plenty. And this is something that's probably part of everyone who's listening scene to an extent, uh, which is a big part of why I bring it up because I think it's going to be relevant to virtually everyone. But I have started to, when you, when you hear it that way, um, what ends up happening, especially as a new player who's coming up and doing things that may or may not be the most efficient, you go, okay, well, then anytime something worked for me, it's because I got lucky and I was doing the wrong thing. And anytime it didn't work for me, it's because I'm bad and, uh, and I'm just doing the wrong thing. But all roads in this particular approach lead to not legit. And you can very quickly lose confidence in what you're doing and start playing with this kind of like, a, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a fraud. If I win, I'm a fraud, but I'm otherwise a bad player because ultimately this is kind of indirectly saying that the person who's doing these things is a bad player. And I, I am... I've, I've lived in that uh, to a certain extent for far too long. And I was recently playing a couple of days ago, one of my fellow Arizona training partners. And um, I was at a situation where it was, uh, it was right after Seth's spin kick, which is minus eight, but it's spaced at a, at a, in a such a way that it's almost always safe, depending on the character that you're playing against. And in that scenario, I was then pressing my standing medium punch button and what happens there is it normally will just completely whiff and the opponent could then whiff punish and the opponent is plus eight from that range so it doesn't make a ton of sense on paper for you to press that button but here's the thing if you're plus eight and you're not close enough to punish what are you going to do? One of the big options there is to walk forward and take that space and now you're still at you know, a decent amount of advantage, but you're also in range to hit the, the opponent, hit Seth. And my button press there was to specifically counter the forward mm-hmm. movement. Well, when I did it, the opponent said, that's not legit. That's not <laughs> legit because, because you're negative there. Mm-hmm. And my yeah. response is, just because paper exists doesn't mean rock isn't legit. And that's mm-hmm. something that's very, very important. And and now you can go too far with this and you can say, well, I can do whatever. I can wake up DP every time and that's legit because, you know, even though it's not recommended, it's like, don't go that far with it. But be able to give an account as to why you're doing the things that you're doing, especially if they are on paper, not uh, statistically efficient. Because yeah. if you can still say, well, I did it here. I pressed a button because the last couple of times or with wherever the life and the, the meter bars are at, it made a lot of sense that you would hesitate here and not take your advantage. That's a reason enough to press the button, to get out of, to get out of uh, pressure, whatever it is. But this attitude immediately of that's not legit, what you're doing isn't legit, it's going to get blown up. Just because there's an answer to it doesn't mean you can't do it. And as yeah. you've said many times, you can never take things off the table, take options off the table in this game. And that's me quoting like Daigo and Tokido and other stuff like that to give them proper credit. They quoted uh, that, those you. Are, 
Yeah, no, they, I'm quoting them. It's for sure. Those guys are, they've been way ahead of the game here and for obvious reasons, right? I mean, look at their results. Mm -hmm. And if you play, pay very close attention to what the very smart and intelligent pros say, uh, they don't always tell you directly, but indirectly, they will tell you how certain things are done. Uh, that's where I've learned a lot of my knowledge through the years. So, But that's not where you get your tier lists. <laughs> Definitely not from Japan. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, I guess I say all of those things because I've recently been more in those sort of elementary infantile stages where I haven't been, uh, and I, I probably should revisit those every so often, even as a more seasoned mm -hmm. player. There's a lot of benefit from that, but it takes a certain amount of humility and, you know, a kind of a back to school attitude where you're just, you know, you're just one of the new kids again. Um, but you do that and you can get a lot out of it. Uh, also, do not fall into the trap of you're bad <laughs> uh, and be just because you're not amazing yet um, and that you don't have the potential to get there because, like, again, that's uh, to a degree sort of a trap that I let myself fall into and it has been detrimental to my growth and it's something that I'm kind of trying to get over now and such. So please don't fall into that. Keep an open mind. Rock, paper, scissors. I think that's all I had to get to. All right, y'all. We'll be back with you next week where we take it back to school. All right. We'll see you then. <laughs> Adios.